What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Mason Kern, joined, as always, by site publisher Chris Cartman. Chris, we've got a lot to get to in this free edition of our podcast today. But first off, how are we doing? How's it going? I'm doing good. You know, f- football keeps coming closer on the horizon. We're seeing it, you know, pretty clearly now. It's well-defined. We know what it's going to be. Uh, I'm confident that it's going to happen. So this is kind of an exciting time in that respect, right? Most definitely. We're, we're kind of seeing how it's all going to shape out, obviously, but we're not seeing practices in person, which is definitely a, a big adjustment, I know, for us and, and kind of everyone covering the team. But we'll get into to more on that a little later in the episode. We're going to be touching on a bunch of different topics just on the our expectations for the team, some strengths and weaknesses just, just through preseason camp thus far, updating where the team stands two weeks into fall camp. But Chris, first off, pretty much the most newsworthy aspect in rec- in the recruiting landscape of ASU in the last week has been all of the decommitments and uh, ASU parting ways with five of its 2021 pledges, those being two from Wisconsin and Marcus Bow and Garrett Gillette, obviously. And then we have the, the Michigan defensive lineman, Caleb Banks. And then when you look at it, I mean, uh, it started with offensive lineman Charles Armstrong. And we we kind of that that kicked off this this whole decommitment sp- string of, of players. And then Isaiah Pipkin from North Carolina. So initially, I know we're going to get way more in depth on this in our premium podcast, Chris, that's coming out in the next few days. But what are some of your initial thoughts just about this recent string? Well, look, um, this is not unexpected whatsoever. I know that people who are not on our Son of a Source VIP coverage maybe were caught off guard by this. There's not uh, as much that's going to be on Twitter, not nearly as much uh, that you know would sort of hint at what's going to happen subsequently. And I don't spend a lot of my time trying to, you know, like tip off what's, you know, people on Twitter because we're trying to service our membership community. But I literally told people uh, for months now that when you have this many early commitments and you have a recruiting cycle where there's no uh, on-campus or off-campus visits for literally from the, you know, March until you signed in December um, and and yet there's way more sort of early commitments than ever before, that's going to inject a lot of volatility into the system. And especially when there's, uh, you know, for most of these kids, or at least many of them, there's no fall season high school football. So there's the film associated with that. You have the quarantine. You have guys physically changing uh, for the, the, the good or the bad. You have, you know, maybe guys, you know, improving their academic profiles or not improving their academic profiles. And no matter what anybody says, um, there is a, 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 you know, an understanding between, in most situations, coaches and players about uh, the continued progress uh, after a commitment is made. And um, so... Some of those, some of these decommitments are related to, um, you know, ASU not seeing the, the, the development that it wants to. Uh, and, and probably in some of the cases, ASU took commitments from guys that were marginal 
and uh, and realize that later on that it, it probably was going to be able to get better recruits. And that's the key thing here, Mason, as we'll get into, as you said, a lot more in, in the premium podcast, but this is not a sign of ASU recruiting weakness. Okay. It's actually the opposite of that. Uh, this is the best ASU football recruiting staff in at least, um, I would say going back to the nineties and Bruce Snyder early on in his tenure, So we're talking like 30 years or something like that, uh, 25, 30 years. And, um, and, you know, so what's happening here is not like, you know, kids fleeing ASU whatsoever. It's more that there are a finite number of scholarships that's even been made smaller due to ASU blue shirt decisions. And we can get into that in the premium also that has created a smaller number of options and ASU is when it had over 20 commitments uh, in September or whatever it was, and they were still recruiting a bunch of guys, you knew that there was going to be this sort of thing that was going to happen. So look, if you just, if you don't want to like get super into it, the details, and you're just a, a casual, more casual fan listening to our podcast and you like what you get from that, that's totally cool. But sort of the main takeaway would be, this is not some sign of real big systemic problems with ASU recruiting. But if you do want more info and, and all the details from, from Chris. And why wouldn't you? Make sure you subscribe to the site and you'll get in our uh, Devil Sanctuary forum. You'll get all the, all the scoop. And you'll also get to hear our premium podcast where we're going to be talking about this a lot more in depth. So make sure you, you, you get a clue, get in there and, uh, and you'll, you'll be in the know, as we like to say. But, Chris, we'll kind of move on to just kind of the, the team in general now. Obviously, two weeks into preseason camp, as I said. As we're recording this on Saturday, October 24th, the team is doing their mock game day in the stadium today. So we'll obviously kind of learn more on how that went and, and have subsequent reporting. But so far through two weeks, as I mentioned before, haven't been there in person. So it's been a lot different First off, just how has it been for you covering it this way? It's frustrating. You know, I, I, it's, it's all of the years of experience that lead to the, your ability to assess what's going on and really make some confident sort of analysis and, and predictions about the team. And when you're not able to do that, you have to rely on what others are saying and you have to sort of filter everything that you hear from everybody else based upon their tendencies for optimism or pessimism or even being even keeled. And um, there's just no substitute for being able, football is a very complex thing, extremely complex. And with so many moving parts, so many different um, sort of, of, you know, related sort of things that impact the way that you would feel about particular things. And you, you kind of have to see that. So um, I haven't been happy, you know, put it that way, but we're doing the best we can. And I think that the, there is some advantage in that, you know, we have good resources and, and connections to people in and around the program. And so I think that we're getting, probably a clearer picture of what actually is transpiring inside uh, their preparations than, than you're going to also, you know, be able to find out anywhere else. So there, you know, there's, we're making the best of it and I think it's okay. It's been, it's been fine. 
given the circumstances. But man, I really do miss being out there every day and being able to evaluate what's going on. Um, you know, I, you know, I, this, I don't mean this like, you know, as like a pat on my back or whatever, but I've spent, you know, more, I've probably watched more ASU football practices than anyone in the last 15 years than maybe uh, Mark Brand, ASU's media relations director. A lot of the media members who are, who cover the team, they actually don't go to a lot of the observation portions of practice, especially when the season is ongoing. And then a lot of them have sort of, they're newer to the jobs or they have, um, you know, moved from one outlet to another outlet and things have been different. And so it's, it's, this is the first year really um, since like 2005 where I, I mean, I've basically like gone to 95 or, or more percent of everything from then till now that we were allowed to. And so it, it's not fun. It's not good. It's, it's, uh, you know, obviously there's way, way bigger problems that we have, um, in that, you know, people and their families are dealing with related to COVID and economic situations around COVID, uh, even more impacting than even, you know, probably the health situations of people. So I feel more badly, of course, for everything else that's happening, but just from a doing my job and wanting to be good at it and, uh, and loving what I do standpoint and that part of it in particular, it has been pretty frustrating. Right. Just kind of grateful that football is still happening. Obviously plenty of games going on on college football Saturday today, but the, the Pac-12 still a couple weeks away. They kick off, at least ASU kicks off at USC on November 7th. And their preparations for, for that game have, have obviously been leading up uh, to, to playing in the Coliseum and everything. Have your expectations, Chris, changed at all? I mean, we even though we haven't been able to observe anything, just from the info we have been able to collect and and you, you, based on your analysis and and kind of – projections have your expectations changed at all in the last two weeks i would say no i think the concerns that were there are still there um and the things that are good are you know they still look good for asu um i i will say i saw like there was an 11 point or something spread in that game right that first first came out and i think that's too much especially when you don't have a home fan crowd advantage uh, i think there's I haven't like looked at this empirically across the country, but my sense is that they, you know, the home teams are given a three point edge or whatever conventional wisdom suggests. And I think there may be too much of a, of a, of a, of a advantage given to home teams, maybe a point or two or more um, that shouldn't probably be there just given the, that these games are not going to have a significant home advantage. And especially when there's not really a big weather change, uh, I, I would say. So uh, I don't think that this warrants an 11 point spread. Of course, they're just trying to get equal money on both sides of the line. So that's, that's really the, all their, all their, their effort is about, but, and, and maybe more money will bet on USC, but no, I think that this game is one that ASU should be able to be close in throughout the defense is is uh you know very experienced at this point even though they're changing schemes and the secondary and linebacker they're solid they have some questions up front especially at defensive end 
Uh, I think those are not quite as as big of a deal when you're playing against an air raid team like USC. Uh, just just given the way that the ball tends to come out pretty quickly, I think it's much more about how you execute in the back the back end of what you're doing. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think that they have a chance to win. I'm not predicting them to win. I probably won't. I haven't made an actual game prediction yet. That won't come until game week, but I, I probably won't predict ASU to win more so because of concerns on ASU's offensive line, maybe defensive end, pass rush capability overall, whatever. But uh, I think the expectations that I have for the team when I said that, you know, when I my Pac-12 media poll vote was ASU second in the South, thought they'd probably finish four and two in, in their, their six games before the seventh, you know, game that everybody's going to play. And I'm still sort of on that same trajectory. That initial 11 point spread really kind of boggled my mind a little bit too, just because I still think people aren't giving enough credit to the fact that with all the cohort restrictions that USC and other California schools had, ASU, meanwhile, was conducting walkthroughs and practices in the ways that they were allowed to, uh, which was a big advantage. So, so I don't know that that was something that definitely caught me off guard a little bit. Just that I, I agree. Hey, that's a good point, Mason. And also, uh, ASU had a lot more time to basically install and become familiar with its new schemes. You know, we talked about this in the past, but there's, there's, so there's those both, those are both advantages. And then also USC uh, will not have seen ASU film of its offensive or defensive scheme. So they right. have to go, they have to go back and watch Boise State for Zach Hill. They have to go back and watch like Marvin Lewis, you know, with the Bengals, Bengals or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, that, that, that makes preparations tougher. And those are things that I think that, uh, you know, definitely you know, our advantages for ASU. Right. And Jaden Daniels said the same thing. Uh, it was either on his Pac-12 media webinar or a recent media availability where it's just like USC is going to have to rely on, on that old film, but ASU obviously has different personnel. So they can kind of project what it's going to be like, but ASU is going to do some different things within those schemes, no matter what to fit their personnel. But Chris, as we kind of have been, as I mentioned it already, two weeks through preseason fall camp now, has there been or what has been maybe the biggest revelations, the, the, the things that you maybe didn't anticipate, if any, uh, as we are now two weeks into it? Um, you know, nothing really shocking. Uh, I, I think there have been some players who have stepped up and uh, the defensive line has a few guys. There's, you know, Robert Rodriguez has talked a lot about TJ Pesafea and uh, DJ Davidson and Anthony Cooper. Um, but there's still some real big question marks about their defensive end position, especially because Amiri Johnson hasn't been practicing recently due to a, uh, a soft tissue injury. Uh, can't really get into more specifics than that's a lower body soft tissue injury from what I've learned. And um, we'll have to see about his availability for, uh, for USC. I mean, you're getting to two weeks out, you know, he's going to have to, he would have to be practicing, uh, by you know a week and a half from now at the latest in order to go and just not a lot of clarity about that um, I, I think the offensive line is remains just a big question mark you know anytime that you lose three starters for your top six guys yes they got Henry Haddis and Kellen Deesh transferring in 
and they have, yes, Donovan West is a year older, Ladarius Henderson a year older, Ben Scott has redshirted, and now he's, you know, in the fold and uh, as an option, and, and uh, you have, uh, you know, sixth-year senior starter or se- senior back in Kate Cody who's probably going to start at center. But there, there are still question marks there very much. I'm one of these people that thinks that the offensive line and defensive line, you know, are so determinative in, in team success. And, um, and, you know, that's two of ASU's bigger sort of question marks outside of defensive tackle. And I don't know how that's going to look. And so that's one of the things that I think that we have to sort of wait and see on. It's much easier to uh, get a freshman running back, you know, especially when you have two that are good. And, and Rashad White apparently has uh, been given really good reviews as another addition in the running back as a junior college transfer. Uh, the two, two of the four-star freshman wide receivers, Johnny Wilson and LV Bunkley Shelton ha- are apparently look like they're ready to play right away. I think Bunkley Shelton has a chance to be a higher volume uh, receiver, you know, maybe someone who is, you know, right up there with like Frank Darby or a little behind Frank Darby in terms of targets and catches and stuff, especially the way, that Zach Hill uses this offense with that H position in the slot and, and Bunkley Shelton's kind of role. He will be splitting reps there probably with Ricky Pearsall, but Pearsall also has the ability to kind of move around the formation. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, Jane Daniels, he you know, was scrambling for his life a lot last year. Uh, I think this offense with Zach Hill, they're more comfortable going with a lot of uh, 12 personnel or even 22 personnel, just two tight end essentially looks. H back and an inline or, you know, some sort of configuration that gives you more blocking options, wing back and those types of things to help sort of chip on pass rushers. you move the pocket, a lot more motion and shifts and, and things like that. So I think this offense can maybe sort of disguise some offensive line issues better, especially uh, with pass protection. I think that we're going to have to see about, what their physicality and tenacity looks like as run blockers and whether or not that's going to be there for ASU a year after the loss of Eno Benjamin. And you kind of get into some of the, the main player standouts, just who coaches have praised. And again, not our own observations as we, as we obviously haven't been there, but as it's shaking out right now, what is kind of the depth chart both offensively and defensively look like at this time? Well, uh, Jane Daniels is backed up by Trenton Borgett, probably. Uh, the offensive, I mean, at, at running back, you have uh, just all three guys are still getting first and second team reps, and so that's not decided in any kind of a way. Uh, the wide receiver positions, you have Frank Darby starting at X. At H, you have Ricky Pearsall battling L.V. Bunkley-Shelton. You have at Z, uh, Johnny Wilson is battling Jordan Porter. And some of these guys, especially Ricky Pearsall, have the ability to play multiple positions. We may see, uh, we may see like Pearsall play some X, um, depending on how Andre Johnson sort of develops. We may see him play some Z. We may see uh, Bunkley Shelton play some Z, from what I understand, with Pearsall at H. Uh, the offensive line, I think, you know, it's it's Kellen Deesh. And uh, Donovan West, Kay Cody, and Henry Haddis are four starters. 
the right tackle position has been between Ben Scott and Ladarius Henderson. Uh, we thought maybe there would be a chance that Haddis might kick out to tackle and somebody else will play guard, but it doesn't look, look like that's going to happen. Case Hatch, we know, is like their H-back slash fullback type player. Curtis Hodges is more of the, the route running capability, uh, uh, tight end flex option, can play some inline. And then the, the main inline guys are Curtis Hodges and uh, Kyle Horn. I think Kyle Horn is going to probably surprise some people uh, when he's out there. And that's going to be probably a battle that continues for a while. On defense, you have, um, I think, DJ Davidson and TJ Pesafea locked in at that nose in the one two. You have uh, Jermaine Lole is going to start a three technique behind him. There's, you know, some some sort of a battle going on apparently between Stefan Wright and Anthony Cooper. And Cooper, somebody who also can move outside and play end, uh, maybe even uh, inside on some passing downs. When you take a nose tackle off of the field, you put those two guys together. Uh, Amiri Johnson and Tyler Johnson are probably the starters at the end positions when Amiri Johnson's healthy. Amiri Johnson being off the field means that maybe it's Shannon Foreman. Uh, the guys behind them, the Michael Matuses and Stanley Lamberts, to me, those are probably more role type guys um, that we'll see. And remember, against certain uh, uh, schemes, ASU may take a defensive lineman off the field against like air raid stuff. And uh, linebacker, you have three starters locked in Merlin Robertson, Darian Butler, Kyle Soley behind them. Um, you know, I think there's an ongoing sort of a battle. Jordan Banks is probably going to play behind Merlin Robertson. Uh, you have Connor Soley, who moved from the Tillman safety position to play linebacker. He's an option uh, inside. And then uh, there's a couple other freshmen that I think are, you know, kind of battling uh, at the linebacker position. I'm not sure, like, either one of them will play too much, but Caleb Banks and Will Schaefer and then Elijah Juarez – uh, he might have to, you know, you know, really kind of start uh, making a push, you know, so that he doesn't fall behind anyone who's a class below him. In the secondary, of course, Chase Lucas and Jack Jones are going to be starting corners. Um, I'm confident that you're going to see Evan Fields as a starter. One of the position battles that may be surprising to fans, the casual fans, is that Ashari Crosswell appears to be getting pushed by DeAndre Pierce. The Boise State transfer, who's been hurt the last couple of years, but he's had the 30-something starts in his career, extremely cerebral players, picked up the defense very quickly from all indications. I know he's going to play a lot. He also could maybe play in some nickel situations, depending on whether they want a safety or a corner there. And uh, Jordan Clark, is, as a redshirt freshman, is a uh, – a pretty solid looking nickel guy. He reminds me a little bit of Kobe Williams, a young, younger, young Kobe Williams. Um, and, um, and then there's, you know, some backups that I think are going to be important. Of course, uh, people know that last year, Cam Phillips, you know, he's played a lot. I think, you know, he's an option. Kiwan Markham looked, you know, like he's very promising at safety as an option. Tamarcus Davis is a great athlete who's another cornerback option. So, um, so, yeah, I think mean, that's a pretty good sort of general overview of it. And you mentioned a, a few guys there just in, in line to get into some some game action, maybe not start, but but play a role this year. And that kind of leads me to 
to ask, are you surprised by any of those that coaches have been impressed by the Andre Johnsons of the world, the Anthony Coopers of the world and, and their potential role and impact on this year's team? Well, I mean, what I would say is I liked Andre Johnson and Anthony Cooper out of high school. They weren't like surprising. Like why, why did ASU take these guys? In fact, uh, I think I told the story in, in the sanctuary on our board about Andre Johnson really balled out at uh, an ASU camp. And I was like out there just basically telling everybody, Hey, like this dude can play in the pac 12. Like it's pretty clear. Um, so six, three, he's 200 pounds, smart kid. Um, you know, he, what I liked about him is a really good, composure and poise catching the ball down the field with good hands so he had these sort of physical tools so uh, he just um you know last year i think he was you know just trying to figure it all out which is really common for freshmen getting their feet wet and kind of learning and there's just so many more demands on them so not really surprised anthony cooper he had a very good motor in high school and he was a very good interior pass rusher and he used his hands well so um you know, I, you know, it's not like somebody's doing something and I'm like, whoa, I didn't totally expect that at all. That really hasn't happened. Well, that's going to pretty much wrap up our, our free edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Once again, you can get all more detailed analysis from Chris and the rest of our staff in the Devil Sanctuary on our VIP forum. Subscribe to the site at sundevilsource.com and make sure once you do that, you'll be able to listen to our premium podcast where we'll get into a lot more detailed analysis once again of preseason camp, of the decommitments we mentioned earlier, and everything else that you'll want to listen to. So, Chris, before I, I let us go here, anything else you want to you wanna say? Well, the only thing is, is um, we, we've been putting up a tremendous amount of non-VIP content in the last couple of weeks since they've been into preseason practice mode, I think. We've been averaging, I would say, probably like 50 to 60 pieces of content a week, which is like a lot, obviously. And that's almost all of that has a written component to it. There's also a bunch of videos. We've been, you've done a good job, Mason, of getting clips of all these Zoom videos of uh, ASU's coordinators and Herm Edwards. And Go Keith. to the videos tab, people. Yeah, there's a videos tab on the site. You can watch everything. It's just it's a lot of two to three minute videos that really get you up to speed. But then on top of that, it's just been a, a wealth of reporting, uh, you know, just like spotlighting individual players and then talking about a lot of the position group situations. Um, ev everything is there to get you ready, uh, you know, even as a casual fan. And if you really are like digging, you know, way more in-depth sort of uh, perspective, you know, jump in, join the site, you know, a lot, I think we've had like a few dozen people this month who have subscribed to the site. You know, it's good to see that kind of coming back uh, in and uh, fans have been really excited though, Mason. We, I was surprised we had much less drop off this off season than, uh, you know, I kind of expected with the COVID situation. I think that's because fans are really sort of excited about what's going on with Herm Edwards, the program recruiting, and the way that the team is shaping up, I think um, 2021 looks like it could be probably ASU's best team, um, you know, probably at least since those like kind of back-to-back 10-win -back Todd Graham team. So 
definitely hop in there and, and uh, there's a big community of fans. We have hundreds of posts every single day from fans on our VIP board, the devil sanctuary. And I think you'll really enjoy it. Get in on the discussion. And Chris says that 2021 season is looking bright. It's on top of the 2022 recruiting class. Coach is also expecting to be a big one. So a lot, once again, a lot more analysis to come, but that's going to wrap up this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast for site publisher, Chris Cartman. I'm Mason Kern. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.